Hi folks, Tris here. Thanks for listening to Modem Prometheus, and thanks especially to all of you who have joined our Patreon. We don't run ads, so the whole podcast is supported by you. If you'd like to help out, head over to patreon.com forward slash modemprometheus. Members get behind-the-scenes notes, early access, bonus episodes, and a lot more exciting stuff. Some patrons are offered gifts by the red-eyed child. We advise against taking them. Today's story is called A Kiss of Salt and Silt, and is brought to you by the mud and the current. Every evening, after she's finished her sensible job in her sensible office, Alma goes to walk along the river. The water falls six metres at low tide, leaving shingle and mud where just a few hours earlier, the river charged to the sea. As she walks, she collects the treasures washed up by the river's passing. Today, she finds a set of silver spoons and a necklace of emeralds set in gold. There is also a section of mermaid spine caught in the intersection where fish meets flesh. But Alma doesn't recognise it for what it is, so leaves it where it lies. She's been coming here for some weeks. She moved to the city for work, but what life she had didn't come with her. She reads romance novels and tells herself she isn't lonely. But this is a lie. She's thought about trying to find friends. She stared at Tinder, downloaded onto her phone and never opened. Both of these things involve talking to people she doesn't have to talk to, and that's something Alma isn't totally comfortable with yet. She's working on it. Instead, she walks the riverbed. It was a few weeks into her ritual that she started noticing the treasures. She would walk along the edge of the water, where it rose and fell like a heartbeat. As she approached, the wave would drop a token like a hopeful suitor offering a rose. She isn't sure how many items she missed before she knew to look, but now she is looking, she finds something every day. Increasingly, she's starting to feel like someone is watching her, as she collects another scrap of gold and puts it in her satchel. In a city full of people ignoring you, she actually finds that quite nice. She might feel differently if she realised someone isn't watching her, but something is. Tilly wears a beret and somehow manages to make it not seem like a bad idea. She's younger than Alma, but has the easy confidence of someone far older, someone secure in themselves. Her arms are covered in bangles, and she wears a scarf pinned with a small brown enamel bird. It's a mudlark, she says, when she sees Alma looking at it. Well, it's not. It's probably a sparrow or something. I don't know. But I call it a mudlark. Like us. She winks and raises her glass in a toast. To filthy girls. Alma looks at the table. I'm not sure I really count. Hey, of course you do! It's the looking more than the finding. Alma has not been entirely honest with Tilly. Her small flat is now scattered with coins, jewellery, ancient sword blades, hairpins, tools, shoes that haven't been worn since they fell from a Roman's foot. She thinks if only some handsome archaeologist knew, getting him back to her room would be easy. And she blushes, like she always does when she thinks along those lines. Her finds made her curious, so she started reading. She found old books in junk shops, joined internet forums, watched YouTube videos about mudlarking. She discovered, quite quickly, that most people don't find things the way she finds things. 
and on a webpage that looked like it was made in 1997, yet was apparently still under construction. She first read about the Queen of the Mud. She'd asked about the Queen on one of the forums, and the Tiller 053 had replied. Simple rule, Tilly says, and that's all it is. You give something to the Queen, she gives you something back. What is she? Alma asks. A person. Or she used to be. This was back when this place was just a couple of huts on a ford. She was given to the river, see? And because she went willingly, the river didn't kill her. It embraced her, made her its own. Precious, the bartender, brings them another two pints of Hunter's Best. Alma doesn't normally drink beer, but Tilly ordered for her. That's how it happened, is it? Tilly looks at him dead straight. It is. And then for a thousand years, she would lure men into the water and drown them as revenge. (laughs) Precious looks like he wants to argue, but instead puts a pint in front of Alma and returns to the bar. Is that true? Alma asks. She killed people. Tilly shrugs. It's just stories. Some say she's old, some say she's young, some say beautiful, some say rotten. Then there's others that say there's not one queen, there's been loads, and she calls a new one to the water when a time has come to go. None of them match. What do you think? I don't think. I know. Tilly pauses, as if she's not sure whether to keep speaking, but she does. I saw her once. She's staring over her pint glass. Not at Alma, but at somewhere past her. Not a place, but a time. I was out early, like proper early, still dark early, to catch the lowest tide. And she was there, walking on the water, this dark shape. I could see her, and it was like she was wearing these long, tattered rags. And when she moved, she left shining trails behind her. How did you know it was her? I just knew. It hit me, you know? Right there. Tilly thumps her heart, and the bangles clattered together like someone tripped over an orchestra. And then, right then, I found this. She reaches into her pocket and pulls out a flint arrowhead. She pushes it towards Alma, point first so it looks like a vicious heart. I tell you, this is a -a once-in-a-lifetime find. Alma, who has 27 of these, says, That's amazing. That's how I knew she wanted me. She wanted my devotion. What did you do? Tilly shrugged and swigged a mouthful of beer. What else? I gave it to her. She pauses, bites her lip for the very first time, hesitates in what she says. I could show you, if you like, Alma says. I... I'd really like that. The tide is high and the river pushes against the constraining embankments. The air is salty, a reminder that what is river now will be sea before long. Traffic swells from one side of the bridge to the other, in and out, rolling in waves. Alma is looking over the side, into the grey-brown drift. Tilly is looking at Alma, at her rapt attention to the river, the way she sniffs the salt and her eyes follow every moving boat and seagull. I love it like this. Tilly says. Salt and silt. All you need for a happy life. That and a bit of good company. What kind of company? Well, this is pretty good. Alma's eyes flick to Tilly, then back to the river. Her brain is turning every boat wake and flying bird into a tattered rag on a muddy arm. Did you bring something? 
Yes. Alma digs into her pocket, pulls out a butter knife. It can be anything, Tilly had told her in a phone call that morning. It doesn't matter what, grab the first thing you see. Alma had picked up the knife she'd used for breakfast, given it a hasty wash and shoved it into a pocket. What do I need this for? Tilly grins at her, bright as a bangle. All goddesses demand sacrifice. She takes the mudlark pin off her scarf, holds it over the edge. To the queen of the mud, she says. What once was mine is now yours. And with a flick of her wrist, the pin flies down and into the water, glittering like a meteor before being swallowed. Alma holds out the knife. She finds her hand shaking. It seems a paltry offering, given what she's found at the water's edge. Petrol station roses compared to a weekend in Paris. To to the queen of the mud. What was once... What once was... What... Tilly pokes her under the armpit. Alma shrieks and drops the knife and it tumbles away. Don't worry about the words, Tilly says, winking. She'll know it's from you. What now? Wait for low tide and see what she gives us back. They're waiting out the tide in another pub that clings to the embankment. Tilly with a pint, Alma with an orange juice. The waitress is a pretty thing with the hair on one side dyed green. Alma wishes she had the nerve to do the same. Tilly talks. A bit about mudlarking, a bit about the queen, but mostly she does something Alma finds far more unusual. She's asking about Alma as a person. Hobbies, jobs, family. She's taking an interest and making Alma feel interesting. This is strange. So you're on your own? Yeah. I had housemates for a while, but it didn't really work out. The hours roll around. Tilly has sunk multiple pints and doesn't seem the slightest bit drunk. Alma has had so much orange juice that her stomach has started to feel queasy, and a small glass of wine that didn't help. But as the clock hits four, Tilly grabs Alma's hand and says, Come on, let's go see what she's found us. They return to the river. Not the public walkways with steps leading down from the embankment. Tilly leads them to an alley that winds behind a new-build flat block. The riverbed is guarded by a wire fence which someone has already cut a hole in. There are no steps here and they need to jump to the mud. How will we get back up? Alma asks. Bit of a scramble, Tilly says, but don't worry, you'll be fine. I come here loads. The beach is long and hidden. Tilly says she's never seen anyone else here. Today, diamonds and pearls are not thrown at Alma's feet. She is grateful for this, because she has spent the entire trip trying to work out what she would say to Tilly if it happened and entirely failed to come up with an explanation. Instead, she follows Tilly's direction, scraping with her trowel at any clump of stones or muck that interests her, going in whatever direction feels good. She doesn't notice those directions leading her always closer to the water. Something glints on the tideline. Alma beelines toward it, the mud getting stickier under her feet, holding tighter, like it's afraid she might leave. As she crouches down toward the object, her feet sink deeper. It's heavy, a dented and beaten metal sphere, filling one hand. Alma turns it over and over. The mud climbs over her boots, pressing gently on her legs. Whoa there! Tilly is hurrying toward her, 
Don't get too close to the water. The mud will suck you in. Get stuck out here. You might not get found. The mud retreats, stopping its caress of Alma's legs, pushing her feet upward. Sorry, she says. I saw this. Nice! Looks like an old cannonball. Four pounder, I reckon. Told you. Pay the queen. She pays back in kind. Wow. Come on, it's starting to get dark. Let's go have a look at all the spoils. They go back to the hole in the fence, Tilly easily scaling the wall and then bending down to help Alma. Alma looks back as Tilly offers her a hand. In the shadow of the bridge, there is unmistakably a person with long matted hair, dressed in tattered rags. Alma only found the cannonball, but Tilly has more. A hairbrush with enamel inlay, a handful of coins, a couple of things that look like coins, but she says are actually old medals, an axe once used to hack open crates on the dock. Is this good? Alma asks. Pretty good. Your cannonball is really nice. I wish I'd found it. Oh, do you want it? Oh, no, no, no. It's yours. You found it. If the queen gave it to you, she did it for a reason. It's because she thinks it fits you. I'm awake. You're a firecracker. Alma can't help but smile. You got a lot more stuff. I've been doing it longer. She knows me better. But hey! And here Tilly leans in, a conspiratorial grin on her face. You don't want to get too much stuff. That means she wants you in the river to be the next queen. That's how she draws you in and she mimes tentacles rising from the water. Alma somehow has not choked on her orange juice. Really? Eh, probably not. Just another story. But that's what I tell myself whenever I see someone with a great haul. Oh, hey, let me show you this video. The night wears on, and eventually Alma has to leave. She has a sensible job to go to tomorrow. Hey, Tilly touches Alma's arm, and for once looks like she's struggling to find words. Did you have fun today? I thought, maybe, maybe we could do it again. They make a date. On the way home, Alma stares at the hungry river and wonders if anything is staring back. Just in case, she waves. That night, Alma dreams of the Queen of the Mud. She is floating, no, She is submerged. The river surrounds her. She feels the current trying to carry her, but she floats in place, calm, because in the dream, all is as it should be. In front of her is the Queen of the Mud, young, beautiful, arms outstretched like she is waiting for a cross. A torque sits at her throat and one more on each wrist. Her clothes are wraps of fabric, and where they show skin there are patches of swirling tattoo. She burns with the light of a star. The queen drifts toward her, up and down like she's jumped. Her mouth moves, and slightly later, Alma hears. What? Alma pushes herself backwards slightly. I'm sorry about the knife. I should have found something better. 
another strange jerking motion. The queen bobs up, down. Her arms flap slowly, a beat behind her body. Her mouth opens and shuts. Want. What do you want? There is something behind the queen. Alma can't make it out properly through her shining light. It's just a darker mass in the black. But it's big. And slowly, it's moving. A slight drift from side to side. Trails of light drift like strings off the queen and back toward it. What? The queen shakes and the rags fall away. Just for a second, Alma can see the whole swirling map of tattoos on her body before they too are pulled off and sink into the black. Alma only has a second of confusion before she sees it's not the tattoos falling away, it's the queen. Her whole body rotting away to leave another unblemished figure underneath, like a snake shedding its skin. This one is dressed in a long robe and has a leaf brooch pinned at her chest, and her arms float plaintively toward Alma. What? Again, the robe and body decays away, falling like fish meal to reveal another. This one has a long skirt with a tight-buttoned bodice and delicate lace gloves. Almost immediately, it starts to decay, the dress falling to rags, the hair tangling, the flesh sagging to show patches of muscle and bone. This one, Alma recognises from beneath the bridge. You were never a person, were you? She says. Once. And with that, the queen leaps, pushing herself toward Alma as unstoppable as the tide, Alma feels herself grabbed with heavy arms, kissed by salty, rotten lips, a tongue like mud flowing down her throat. And then she wakes up. Dry, unharmed, still feeling the kiss on her lips. Oh, she says and feels herself blushing. Oh my... When Tilly calls her next and asks her if she wants to go mudlarking again, Alma doesn't mention the dream. She doesn't mention how even when walking across her flat, it feels like her feet are being sucked gently into the floor. She doesn't mention how the wash of the current sounds like sweet nothings in her ears. She just says, I'd love to. They meet at the cut in the fence. Sorry I'm late, Alma says. I got held up on the way. Hey, that's okay. Tilly gives her a hug and leaps down onto the riverbed. The tide will turn soon, but we've still got a bit of time. Did you give her anything? Not yet, but I've brought her something special. Alma hefts her satchel. Cool. I'm going to go look down there. Come find me when you've made your gift. This close to the river, Alma can feel the queen in her head, feel the desire almost boiling off the water. Her heart is thumping a tattoo as she looks furtively for a figure in rags. She takes the cannonball out of her satchel, feels its weight in her hand, and with a clumsy but effective strike, smacks Tilly across the back of her head. 
It is five hours and 42 minutes later. Alma is in a cafe in her favourite dress, drinking a triple shot caramel mocha. She's only ever ordered Americanos before, but Alma doesn't think they're what an interesting person drinks. And tonight, she wants to be interesting. She glances at her phone. There are several missed calls from Tilly, which came in at increasingly desperate intervals as the tide rose higher. Alma had thought about answering. She felt like she should say sorry. Tilly had no doubt realised that no queen ever went willingly. The door to the cafe opens and Tilly walks in. She's still damp, covered with riverbed filth, walking as if she's not used to these legs, which, of course, she's not. Because this isn't Tilly. Not anymore. Alma will wonder later if Tilly is still in there anywhere. But right now, it doesn't cross her mind at all. The other patrons try not to watch as she staggers over to Alma, who has stood up from her table. Even for the city, this is quite an entrance. The queen raises her hand. Alma takes it. It's cold and clammy, and she doesn't care. The queen looks at the hand, and then, nervously, at Alma. What? She whispers. Alma pulls her into a hug. The mud stains her dress, and she doesn't care about that either. I know, she says, and kisses the queen so lightly, just enough to taste the salt and the silt. I want you too. Modem Prometheus is written by Neil Merton, performed by Kate Angier, and with music and production by me, Tris Oten. Check out my other show at lostterminal.com. It's got more science and less dread. If you like what we do, check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash modemprometheus. If you're not ready for that kind of commitment, please rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this right now. Our next story is due on the full moon. And remember, should you ever find yourself wandering too far into the estuary, the mud is only holding you that tight because it wants to be loved.